Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What's up? It is Shira. Happy Wednesday. We've hit the belly button of the week. And I'm in the studio with producer Shelby taking over the show today. I've never heard that saying before. The belly button of the week. Yes, I used to say it a lot. And I haven't said it in a while, so there you go. I did it for you, you, Shelby. Thank you. Learn one new thing every single day. Of course. It's a female power here in the studio it sure today. Is. <laughs> um, lots happening. We're going to be talking about reproductive rights and the task force put together by the Justice Department, what that could do to help with access to reproductive health care. Also, I am so excited because we have trans activist Gavin Grimm and author Kyle Lukoff joining us. They put together the picture book. If you're a kid like Gavin, the true story of a young trans activist, uh, join us for that at 4.20 p.m. Pacific, 7.20 p.m. Eastern. Gavin Grimm is is a hero, an unfortunate hero, because um, he was not given access to the bathroom that he identifies with when he was in school, um, and they forced him to go to um, the other bathroom, and he actually brought it to the Supreme Court and won. So it's pretty remarkable, and I'm excited to talk to him about that and more. Uh, Let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Oh, no. First Lady Jill Biden did not do the right thing here. She's in a little bit of trouble. She was speaking at the 2022 uh, Unidos U.S. annual conference titled Siempre Adelante, Our Quest for Equity in San Antonio. On Monday, she commented on the diversity of the Hispanic community. And here's what she said. With the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, <laughs> is your strength. Yeah. Um Comparing the Hispanic community, the Latin community, to tacos and bodegas, not necessarily the best look. And she didn't even say bodega right. So it, she she said bogota. So <laughs> she just looks extra bad. Yeah, and, and I apologize even for messing up any of the earlier stuff I pronounced. I mean, um, she, yeah, this this, but at at her level to be presenting and speaking. You know, everyone's looking forward to that. She's like a keynote speaker. I hope that she's had someone write this that possibly understands the community and what she's talking about, or she had practiced this somehow. It's obvious that that didn't happen, or who knows what went down. Now, the National Association of Hispanic Journalists was not impressed. 
In a statement, they said that they encouraged Dr. Biden and her speechwriting team to take the time in the future to better understand the complexities of our people and communities. And we are not tacos. Conservatives are commenting on how this could cause Biden to lose Hispanic voters. Um, And the first lady's spokesman actually made a statement saying she apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. So, yeah, definitely this is something that the right is going to use for a bit of time, at least. Uh, We've actually talked about Hispanic Republicans here on the show and how that's a growing uh, voting group. And so that's always an interesting conversation to have as well. So she definitely needs to get that community on her side, and this does not help. Uh, Finally, NASA has revealed the first image from their new space telescope. I don't know if you saw this on social. It was crazy. The first image from the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope is the farthest humanity has ever seen in both time and distance. This image released is filled with lots of stars, massive galaxies in the foreground, and also other distant galaxies peeking through. It, It will blow your mind, right? But it's also calling attention to the desire to rename the telescope in light of allegations that Webb was complicit in the abuse and discrimination of LGBTQ people during his time at the Federal Space Agency. He's actually been linked, Webb, to government discrimination against LGBTQ employees because he was in NASA leadership and previously served as the U.S. Undersecretary of State during the Lavender Scare. So there's been a petition, 1,700 people or over that has signed it, created in 2021, demanding for the removal of Webb's name. So a little LGBTQ news in the space news today. Well, that was What's Trending this hour. Next hour, we'll tell you more about the Emmy Award noms, who won, who lost, who was uh, not included. And I'll also tell you more about my favorite TV show out there. I don't usually have one. But I have a new one. More next hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, yesterday was the seventh day of the January 6th hearings, and a bunch of things came to light about Trump and his involvement in the insurrection, including his call to action tweet, text messages, and witness descriptions of an unhinged Oval Office meeting prior to the 6th. I mean, you think? Uh, Here is Liz Cheney starting the hearings off with this statement. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. As our investigation has shown, Donald Trump had access to more detailed and specific information showing that the election was not actually stolen than almost any other American. And he was told this over and over again. No rational or sane man in his position could disregard that information and reach the opposite conclusion. I mean, is there anything new that we're learning here? I mean, more and more evidence, it seems, but will it actually matter? What's also interesting is they had a rioter, Stephen Ayers, who illegally entered the Capitol on January 6th. This is according to this great recap, by the way, on Washington Post. He had testified. He said he was inspired to come to Washington by Trump's social media posts, saying, I was hanging on every word he was saying. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure. He has some rabid fans. It's like you can't have something like this and take Trump out of the situation and act like this would have happened if he wasn't there. Like that is 
ridiculous. The panel also presented evidence that there was advanced planning for Trump to go to the Capitol on January 6th after his speech on the ellipse near the White House. So a lot of things there, including, oh, my God, this recorded conversation played, warned that Trump supporters would go nuts. And this is from Representative Debbie Lesko from Arizona. Supporters would go nuts and said congressional leadership should come up with a safety plan for members. Well, did they do that? Did we see anything in addition? It's unfortunate we didn't. And it actually, because of that, the results were lives taken, right? And a lot of violence that didn't need to happen that day. Really unfortunate. Well, next up, the Justice Department introduced a reproductive health rights task force. What that could look like next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yesterday, officials announced that the Justice Department is launching a reproductive rights task force to gather federal resources aimed at preventing overreach from state and local governments seeking to put new bans on abortion access after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Here to discuss it is national security reporter at The Washington Post, David Nakamura. Thank you so much for joining us again. Sure. Happy to be here. Uh, So tell us more about this. Was this something that they had been working on or was it created as Yeah, an emergency with everything happening. A little of both. Uh, You know, what I was told by justice officials is that the department had been, of course, anticipating a ruling from the Supreme Court. They didn't know exactly when or what it would be, uh, but they were working with grassroots groups, uh, with, uh, you know, reproductive uh, centers, uh, women's health centers, uh, clinics around the country uh, about potential uh, concerns over, uh, you know, how the abortion access to abortion might go if the Supreme Court, in fact, did what it did, which is uh, go as far as overturning Roe. And so those discussions had been going on for several months, even before the ruling. And basically what the Justice Department said yesterday was they were elevating this and, and, and formally naming this task force, which would continue the work and I think consolidate the resources and the uh, firepower in the Justice Department. Def- definitely. Now, it, it doesn't include new policy, as was referenced in this article, but no. seeks to cut through the confusion providers are facing on the ground in states where abortions are newly restrictive. What does that actually mean when someone like hears this and you're like, okay, well, I'm a provider, a doctor, like, how can this help me? Or if I'm a person? Yeah, but what they're saying is that they're going to be, they're watching closely as state legislatures and even local governments enact new policies, uh, you know, maybe emboldened by the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, states will take aim and, and, and create tougher uh, abortion restrictions, if not, uh, you know, seek to ban it entirely. And, you know, there's been discussion about whether uh, local governments would go so far as to uh, ban access to the abortion pill or yeah. to, um, uh, you know, folks who might want to leave the state who are pregnant to seek, uh, you know, reproductive care elsewhere and, and seek an abortion in other states, whether they could maybe be prosecuted or even their health care providers and doctors be prosecuted for giving advice and finding options. Uh, and, the, and the Justice Department is saying, look, we're going to be monitoring those kind of things to see if those violate federal law and federal statutes. And if so, we're going to we will enter the fray uh, proactively or in the, or, or after the fact um, to try to you know get injunctions and to stop it. So, you know, it's a broad array of possibilities. And I think from what you're hearing from local groups is a number of lawsuits have already been filed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from activist groups um, against regulations already underway. And so they're saying, yes, we could we could use the federal government's help and resources and and legal firepower. Definitely. And some are even saying um, experts that there's an argument that the FDA approval of a drug preempts state action. New restrictions in states right. where abortion is being curtailed wouldn't hold up in federal courts. Like, that's really yeah. interesting that the FDA comes into this, too. It really is. And I think what is interesting and what experts are saying is it's not settled law. You know, some of this stuff is 
you know, new and, 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 and still to be challenged and sort of uh, litigated. And I mm. think that's where you're coming in. I think that there's a lot of anticipation that, you know, the states uh, and, and, and conservative areas and, and Republican-led uh, jurisdictions will seek to, you know, do, do what they can and push the boundaries. Uh, and I think what you're hearing from the Justice Department is uh, they're going to be, you know, sort of aggressively uh, looking to combat that in areas where they think, you know, locations have gone too far. And so that is one area that is likely to be litigated. And I think, you know, one thing you may hear from the other side is, look, you know, the Supreme Court ruled in this way, and you're, you know, you're looking at a conservative Supreme Court, you're looking yeah. at a lot of federal courts with, with Trump appointees who will, uh, you know, maybe rule in our favor. So I think you're going to see people trying that, even if they, they, the Justice Department does step in. Definitely. Of course, we know what a lot of the Republicans think of all of this. Do you think this is enough from the Biden administration to get the Democrats who feel like he's doing nothing around this on his side? Uh, no, I don't think that. I think that there's still frustration. Look, the White House, you know, with the president signing the executive action uh, a few days ago, uh, directing the administration to take various steps, including the Justice Department, which was mentioned in the, in the executive action. Uh, and then you had uh, the Health and Human Services take some uh, steps as well uh, to increase their authority and try to take steps uh, to protect, uh, you know, women's uh, health options in, in this regard. Now you're having the Justice Department step in. I think the administration is signaling, look, we're doing all we can. Yep. The problem is it's not going to be enough to replace, uh, you know, this, this federal law. So, um, you know, I think that uh, there'll still be frustration. I think there's, you know, as Biden, President Biden said, you know, he's there encouraging Democrats to, you know, to, to take it out in, in, in voting and, and to elect more uh, Democrats. And obviously that's important for the Democratic Party and the president, uh, you know, in, in these midterms. Is there anything more just in your reporting you're seeing that they could do above and beyond the, this part from the Justice Department? Like, what are they trying to do? You know, I think, it's, I think that, you know, if you're looking at kind of what they did yesterday, you know, to some degree it was signaling, you know, because they are uh, certainly have been already talking about some of these actions. Uh, you know, I think the, the proof will be in the, you know, in the pudding as, you know, as you go down the road, how many times the Justice Department will step in. I mean, the same questions uh, are, are around gun policies and around voting rights yeah. and, and other areas where the Justice Department is also being, you know, looking at and, and trying to step in when it can, uh, you know, it, you know, but but there's a limited amount they can do. Even in the in, in discussions yesterday with Justice Officials, they said, look, we're going to, you know, we have to follow the, you know, the letter of the law here. Uh, and we know that there's been frustration with the Justice Department of not acting more quickly, for example, on the January 6th uh, investigations, you know, at least from what liberals would like or Democrats would like. So I think you're still going to see frustration. Uh, but, you know, there was a commitment. Look, they put Vanita Gupta in charge of this. She's the number three ranking official of justice. She's from the civil rights uh, community uh, when she's not been in, in various uh, Democratic administrations. So she, you know, I think she understands this. And, you know, she talked about it uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, in a personal way about, you know, uh, as a woman and how she sort of views this uh, this row ruling, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, you know, that, that they're, they're taking it seriously. The question is just a matter of you know, how much they can do and whether that will meet expectations of, of Democrats and Biden voters. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it remains to be seen. OK, well, that was Washington Post national security reporter David Nakamura. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks very much. And coming up on the show, of course, we got more music, more headlines, including how this Republican senator got served by a professor. After this, let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. It is Shira and producer Shelby taking over the show today. Howdy. Uh, hey, more music coming up right here on Channel Q. Right now, we're getting into some more show. Getting you smarter, as always. The Biden administration has blocked a million monkeypox vaccines from coming into the country. Could there be some 
homophobia that's underlying here. Uh, then GLAD is joining us to analyze their 2022 social media safety index that reports on LGBTQ user safety across major social media platforms. Always great to have them on. That's in 30 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Uh, this next person who we're about to talk about is my hero. Like, I'm a major fangirl right now. Uh, during a Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday morning, University of California law professor Kiara Bridges called out Senator Josh Hawley for being transphobic. Bridges was testifying at a hearing about the legal consequences of the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson. And here's a part of the conversation. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence. Oh, my God. Just so epic. I wish I could play the rest of it because that continued. He's like, oh, so me just asking questions creates violence. And it's like, you're not even getting it. Your narrative, yes, it creates violence because it excludes a group of people and their identities. Anyway, um, it also continued with him finally asking, is this how you run your classroom? To which she responded, Oh, we have a good time in my class. You should join. You might learn a lot. Yes, queen. Yes, an early yes, queen to that. Uh, We should get them on our show. That'd be amazing. And uh, next up, leaders of a small Sonoma County city started a movement in green energy policy when they questioned the approval process for a new gas station. And eventually that stopped its development and others in the future. Since that decision, four other cities in the Bay Area have followed, and now leaders in L.A. are hoping to bring the policy to Southern California. Los Angeles City Councilman Paul Koritz proposed L.A. work toward its own ban on new gas stations. Lobbyists for gas stations said they will oppose the motion in L.A. if it moves forward. I mean, just give the business to the gas stations that are already there. Why start new ones, right? And finally, British Triathlon has decided that trans women and non-binary athletes who are assigned male at birth will compete with cisgender men in one category labeled open. (laughs) While cisgender women, trans men, and non-binary people assigned female at birth will compete in the women category. British Triathlon says its new policy doesn't violate the UK's 2010 Equality Act, which forbids gender discrimination in public sports. However, the policy could face a legal challenge. British Triathlon has pledged to keep the sport inclusive to everyone, but the governing body argued that the scientific evidence showed transgender athletes have retained advantages and showed that it had to act to protect the female category. That was so much trending this hour. We're wrapping this up with some entertainment news because it has been a big day, well, the past 24 hours in entertainment as the Emmy Award nominations have come in. We didn't get to talk about it yesterday because uh, we we were here, but not here live. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Succession came out on top with 25 noms total. I got into it for like the first season, haven't continued into it. Close behind were Ted Lasso, 
a favorite of mine in White Lotus with 20 each. I'm actually proud to say because I've been called out by Shar and Ryan before because they think I never watch TV. And it happens that the, the shows that I have watched, just saying, are all nominated. What does that say about the way I select what I'm going to watch? I mean, I your viewing habits might be better than mine. I feel like I watch things that are too old. Like, I've been binging all seasons I can get my hands on of RuPaul's Drag Race. I haven't watched any of That's these. That's good. But I need, <laughs> but Shelby, I need to do that, too. So yes. maybe we should have started doing that together. Yes. Um, Hacks and Only Murders in the Building will uh, also got nominated 17 apiece. Euphoria, which, again, I tried to get into. It was really good, but got really dark and... My uh, my boyfriend refused to watch it with me, mm-hmm. so I just stopped watching it. Um, others, uh, the final season of Ozark uh, and Stranger Things got nominated. Uh, and also, have you gotten into Abbott Elementary? I tried to. I watched a few episodes, and I will say I this is a hot take. I might get flamed for this, but I do not think it's as, as funny as a lot of um, other kind of sitcoms that follow its its pace oh yeah you might get dragged by Shar and ryan i have watched it too like i love um the fact that quinta brunson is the first black woman to score three emmy noms in the comedy categories in one year for abbott Mm -hmm. elementary um and i feel like it's a specific type of humor yeah like you know i i haven't been able to get into Mm -hmm. uh you know but i i've never been into shows like that i have gotten into and this has nothing to do with the (laughs) emmys although maybe they got nominated loot i got into Loot recently on Apple. I've never heard of it. Oh my God. It's with Maya Rudolph. Oh, I'm a big fan of it. It is so good. It's just, I mean, I don't, I think it just launched. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it didn't get uh, nominated, but tell, let me tell you, watch it. It is so great. I'm just, yeah, I'm a big fan. And, and real quick before we get out, I think we need to talk about Stranger Things in this equation. Have you watched the new season at all? No, I went again, one of those that got into the first season and mm-hmm. then I just didn't. Well, it's interesting because they did the most recent season um, in two parts, but only the first part was eligible for nominations. So I think that is a very... Why? It was uh, the second part oh. got released after the cutoff that, well, date. that makes sense. So I think that part's really interesting and I'm wondering if that means they're going to take noms for next year's too, if that was a way they kind of like wanted to stay in the running for those things yeah or just keep uh no netflix just wants people to keep their subscription longer and like yeah. you know stay yeah. on, basically um well next up why one million monkeypox vaccines are stuck in denmark what that says about how we're handling this and is it homophobic next let's go there with shira and ryan channel q We've been talking a lot about the monkeypox outbreak. Well, now we're hearing that one million monkeypox vaccines are stuck in a manufacturing facility in Denmark because the FDA is refusing to import the shots after it failed to inspect the plant. They then refused to accept the inspection results from the European Union, which said the facility is safe. Here to talk more about this is Dr. Amash Adalja, an infectious diseases doctor at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Uh, Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, this isn't the best situation here. What exactly is going on? Well, what's going on is that there are vaccines that have been manufactured by the maker of the vaccine, yeah. Bavarian Nordic, that are in Denmark. And they are not approved by the FDA. The FDA hasn't fully inspected that plant, although they are approved by the European regulator. And because of kind of the bureaucracy of our laws and regulations, those vaccines can't be used on Americans because the FDA hasn't approved them. And I think it really underscores the fact that we need to be much more nimble when we're talking about an infectious disease emergency and not let these kind of artificial barriers stand in the way of 
protecting people. Definitely. And there needs to be some trust. And yes, yeah, circumstances where we we don't maybe go in the, in the same guidelines that we typically do for moments like this. Exactly. You have to be able to be innovative. You have to use the tools that we have. And there's no, I think, safety risk with using vaccine that's approved in the European Union, but not approved in the United States. It's fine to be used there. There's not much, there's no biological reason why it wouldn't be okay to use it here. I think uh, that there is such a demand for this vaccine, and the vaccine is the key to stopping monkeypox wow. from, from spreading. That's really unfortunate. Have we seen this happen before? Well, we, we have seen similar things. For example, early on in the days of COVID-19, there was AstraZeneca vaccine being made in the U.S., and there was a scarcity of vaccines. AstraZeneca had been approved in places like Canada, mm-hmm. but the, the Biden administration would not allow that AstraZeneca vaccine to be used because the FDA had approved, approved it. So, yes, this does happen, this kind of... Uh, jockeying between regulatory agencies and wanting to have their own stamp on it. And I think what we want to see is harmonization, that if something is good enough in the EU or good enough in Canada, there's no reason why it wouldn't be good enough in in the United, to use in the United States, I think. So that's a paradigm that needs to shift, but there's a lot of bureaucratic mentalities in the FDA and in the federal government that make it very hard for this type of thing to happen. And it's particularly dire when it's in an emergency situation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Some people are bringing up the idea that this could be homophobic. What do you think about that? I don't know that it's, I don't know that I would say that it has anything to do with homophobia, but it is definitely clear that this outbreak is spreading amongst men who have sex with men. And we've seen in the past delays in action when it affects a marginalized group when yeah. an infectious disease affects a marginalized group. So I don't think I think it's natural for people to think that. I don't know if that's the motive, but it does it. The, the optics of it are bad. And I think that uh, it's completely reasonable for people to, to draw that conclusion. Yeah, definitely. What do you think is going to happen now? I mean, this is obviously needed. I think that hopefully there's going to be pressure put on the Biden administration to come up with some solution to using that vaccine. Mm-hmm. We are eventually going to have enough FDA-approved vaccine to be able to do this, uh, to, to, to staunch this outbreak. However, that's not going to come until late in, um, l- late in the summer. In the meantime, people are going to get infected, and you're going to expect cases to go up. And sh- we're see- we'll see shortages when places like D.C. or New York City set up clinics because there's much more demand than there is supply. Yeah. But I think the monkeypox outbreak will get worse before it gets better, but we have the tools to contain it. And I think what we have to really do is put pressure on the administration to not allow bureaucracy to stand in the way of an effective response. All right. Well, that was Dr. Imesh Adalja uh, from John Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thank you again. And next up, GLAAD has their 2022 Social Media Safety Index study, and they are actually joining us to break it all down next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, GLAAD... Um, has their new social media safety index, and it provides recommendations for the industry and reports on LGBTQ user safety across major platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Um, do we have uh, we have Jenny Olson, lead author on this report and senior director of social media safety at GLAAD, joining us right now to explain her findings. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, I know you just jumped right in. That's how it goes, live radio. So tell us more about the platform scorecard you introduced this year and how that impacted what you saw in the study. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, um, so last year for 2021, we issued the the first report, which was really kind of a 
a land, looking at the landscape, offering the baseline of kind of where things were for LGBTQ user safety on the platforms. Um, and then the idea was, you know, okay, here's a bunch of recommendations. Um, and then now a year later, let's, let's see what things look like. And, uh, and so we created the, the scorecard to, to rate the platforms. Um, and I kind of had a sense that, you know, probably the, the, the ratings wouldn't be great. Um, and hmm. indeed, yeah. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> well, yeah, it has 12 indicators to generate ratings, uh, LGBTQ plus safety, privacy and expression. So with that, the results are in. Who did it right? Uh, yeah, the, the results are that what? they all, they all failed. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, out of a possible 100, they all uh, hit less than 50. Um, and I mean, it's interesting to drill down on some of the things like, mm-hmm. and I think the most, the most thing that stands out the most is that they do all actually have general, uh, they all get a 100 on the first indicator, you know, which is general, um, uh, particularly general hate and harassment protections yeah. of LGBTQ users, you know, um, which is great. Um, but when then when it comes down to, you know, enforcement um, and well, and most of the other indicators, um, uh, they it does not does not carry through. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking at it right so, now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there, there are some, you know, there are some examples of specific, um, improvements, which were great to see from, from last year to this year, particularly, um, the example of TikTok, TikTok added, uh, we got them to add, uh, a prohibition against targeted misgendering and dead naming, mm-hmm. which, uh, which was a recommendation we made last year for all the platforms to follow the lead of Twitter because Twitter has always had that. Um, and so TikTok did add that. TikTok also added a prohibition at our recommendation against um, uh, uh, content promoting so-called conversion therapy. Um, so we were, you know, grateful to see that. Um, and actually, Twitter also added a prohibition against that content for advertising content. Um, yeah, it seems like uh, Instagram, well, everyone sucked. Instagram got the highest score of 48.38, which is a fail, right, if that was school. So I guess what's what's the takeaway? What can be done so these uh, scores change next year? Yeah, I mean, we continue. We have ongoing advocacy meetings with the platforms, and we are monitoring and doing rapid response work, alerting them to things giving them a hard time about things yeah. um, and, and, you know, making general recommendations, um, you know, that they uh, strengthen and enforce their existing community guidelines that protect LGBTQ people, um, you know, including um, that, you know, we're at the same time that we're targets of uh, hate and harassment. We're also targets of uh, disproportionate censorship, you know, where legitimate LGBT content is taken down or, um, uh, you know, or demonetized, for instance, on YouTube. Um, and so, you know, kind of, you know, just asking them to do better in in all respects. Um, Definitely. 
Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for this. It's so needed. And I really do hope it makes a difference. And I do think that things like this at least are some steps forward to, uh, you know, put fire under their whatever their behinds. Okay. That was uh, Jenny Olson, Senior Director of Social Media Safety at GLAAD. Thank you again. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. All right. After this, more of what's trending, including why this woman was denied from purchasing condoms after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. More music coming up right here on Channel Q. It's Shira. And we've got also producer Shelby in the studio today. Hey. You know, we're uh, the ladies taking over. Let's go there today. And coming up, I'm so excited because uh, we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, You may have heard of the case Grimm versus Gloucester County School Board, where a young trans student in Virginia fought for his rights to use the men's bathroom. Well, later on, we have Gavin Grimm himself on to talk about his new children's book. That's in 15 minutes. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. The newest offshoot of Omicron, along with a closely related variant BA4, are fueling a global surge in cases 30% over the past two weeks, according to the World Health Organization. Here is Dr. Anthony Fauci. You see, if you look at the map, where just a couple of months ago it was a lot of green and some yellow, now we're seeing a fair amount of orange, which means you really should, in an indoor setting, a congregate setting, be wearing masks. It's just the appropriate thing to do to defend, to protect yourself and your family. We'll, we'll see if anyone follows those recommendations. Uh, Next up, Democratic senators are moving to protect interstate travel for abortion care. The newly introduced Freedom to Travel for Health Care Act of 2022 is aiming to counteract some of these attacks by protecting the right to travel freely from state to state to get reproductive health care services. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada and Senator Patty Murray of Washington introduced the bill yesterday morning, along with nearly three dozen Democratic co-sponsors. And here is Senator Murray. It protects health care providers who are licensed to provide abortions in the states that they are practicing. And I truly can't imagine how anyone could be opposed to this legislation. Americans have a right to travel within the United States and to get the reproductive care they need. Period. End of story. And by the way, uh, if you're wondering, that does include the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. And under this, they would be defined as a state under the proposed legislation. And that is expected to be passed by the House on Friday. And finally, a woman has shared her story of an employee at a Walgreens drugstore refusing to sell her a box of condoms, claiming it's against her religious beliefs. We've finally gotten off the deep end. If you thought it was bad, it's just getting worse. A Walgreens spokesperson said that its employees are allowed to step away from completing a transaction to which they have a moral objection and referred to the the transaction to a fellow team member or manager who will complete the customer's request. The policy is troubling considering that Walgreens, which is the second largest pharmacy chain in the U.S., may serve as the only source for contraceptives in some communities. And then what if, you know, not just one person is against this, but everyone? What do you do then? Uh, This is very worrisome. Like, I don't, this is messed up. Like, you don't need to know what I'm buying and why. Just do your transaction, swipe it, and call it a day. Close your eyes, put a mask on or something on your eyes, along with your face if if it gets that bad. And finally, uh, some entertainment news. Simone Biles, one of the most recognizable uh, gymnasts in the world, was mistaken for a child on a flight recently and asked if she would like a coloring book. 
She said, not the flight attendant trying to give me a coloring book when I board. She is four foot eight. She captioned a selfie of herself on the plane. And she said, I, no, I'm good. I'm 25. I mean, um, Shelby, you, you look young. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Um, literally two months ago, after my college graduation, I was at a restaurant. I walk in. I'm with my dad and my younger brother. And the host asks, would you like kids' menus? And my dad said, yes, please, you know, for my younger brother. And then he said, one or two. And my dad said, two. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Like, my arms are covered in tattoos. I've got piercings in my face. Like, what is the thought process there? But, yes, this happens to me frequently. And I think this is extra funny considering Simone just got the presidential medal of I mean, honor. also this person not recognizing who it was. Yeah. But she could have had maybe um, a mask on or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Still. Yeah, she's definitely uh, not a child, although I would take a coloring book. And sometimes as you get older and you look older, you're like, yes, please card me or just pretend I'm young. Uh, Next up, how this young trans activist took his case to the Supreme Court and is now telling a story to kids everywhere. Gavin Grimm joins us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Gavin Grimm will be forever known as the activist behind the Supreme Court case Grimm versus Gloucester County School Board, where the young trans student in Virginia fought for his rights to use the men's bathroom. Uh, now he has a book out called If You're a Kid Like Gavin, The True Story of a Young Trans Activist, and I Can't Believe It. We've talked about him on the show, reported about the story. Well, Gavin Grimm joins us right now with co-author Kyle Lukoff. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you very much. Hi. So, uh, I mean, uh, Gavin... It's just really an honor to have you here today. You are, in a way, a celebrity, but it's from an unfortunate situation. How has life been for you since this all happened? What year was it again that this finally got taken care of? Well, we filed in 2015, and the case concluded, I believe, in 2021. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it was like six and a half years, something like that. And now you are on the other side of it. What's that been like for you? Uh, That's been interesting. I mean, of course, um, a lot of how that played out was influenced by COVID. Um, You you know, I think things were a lot quieter there at the end than they would have been otherwise. Um, If I had been, if the world had been opened up and we'd been able to go and celebrate with, you know, my like legal team and things like that, I think think it might have been a lot busier. But honestly, I've been um, enjoying the easier pace of life. So, uh, not, not too many complaints here. Definitely. And you deserve that because I, I, we talk about this on the show. We see so many young activists, which is very empowering and inspiring, but it's like kids get to be kids. And that's unfortunately not happening for a lot of kids today. Absolutely. And that's been some of the, the most um, motivating driving force behind my, my activism and my desire to fight this case because I sort of had already been denied that kids being kids experience. And, and so I wanted to make sure that as few as possible kids that came after me would have to be, you know, these activists and advocates, because really, I, you know, I should have just been a 15 year old. Yep. And so with that, it, it's obviously led you to doing lots of things, including creating this book. Tell us more about what brought this all together because uh, you know Kyle you are a two-time Stonewall award-winning author and now you get to work with uh, someone like Gavin as well it's true but when I first reached out to Gavin I had no idea what my writing writing career would look like this was back in 
2017. Wow. My first picture book hadn't come out yet, and my first trans picture book was still a couple years away. So when I first got in touch with Gavin, I kept saying to him, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is going to get published. I don't have an agent right now. And I, my main feeling right now is just gratitude that I didn't let him down. That is, wow, both of you have the craziest stories. I feel like I could do separate interviews with both of you, and now I have, like, two of you together on one call, which <laughs> is amazing. But, yeah, uh, how did this all come to be as a book? And, and what, I guess, led you to focusing on this story specifically and, like, and telling it in this way? So I got the idea while I was still working as an elementary school librarian because a small group of my third and fourth graders had written letters of support to Gavin and mm-hmm. also were interested in changing the bathroom signs on our on my school's already gender neutral restrooms to make them instead of like the men and women stick figures to have them just have like a toilet mm-hmm. and a hand washing symbol. And it was just one random brainstorm. I was thinking about my students, I was thinking about their project. I was thinking about Gavin, and I thought to myself that he would make the most amazing subject of a picture book biography, and that someone should get on writing that. And at the same time, I realized that I could be the person to do that. So I got in touch with some people on his legal team whom I knew previously, and they put me in touch with him. And I honestly will never stop being grateful that Gavin trusted me Mm. to tell his story and also to help bring this book through the publication process. Definitely. Well, it's written and illustrated by an all-trans creative team. So, Gavin, tell us more about, like, what this book is and what it means to you. Well, first of all, the the fact that it's an all-trans creative team is so important to me. Um, I I think that... yeah, well, when you're in that position and amazing opportunities like this come along, you know, it's hard to, um, it's hard to be, be picky, I suppose. But in this case, I didn't have to be because it was like the best case scenario. Um, a fantastic author, a fantastic illustrator. I mean, it was just really lovely. It was, I hadn't even ever dreamed that this would fit the narrative of any kind of book, much less a picture book, except for maybe in 20 years, some kind of autobiography. Um, yeah. But this this book to me is is a sort of a manifestation of um, the heart that's been behind my fight, which has always been about um, helping other people. And and in this way, we've we've done it through storytelling. We've done it through something this beautiful piece of art, and um, that 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 is just something that I'm so proud of. That I I'm so proud to be associated with. Definitely. All right, we're going to take a break right now, but we're going to be talking more about this new book, uh, If You're a Kid Like Gavin, The True Story of a Young Trans Activist, after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. I'm talking to authors Gavin Grimm and Kyle Lukoff. Their book is out if you're a kid like Gavin, the true story of a young trans activist. Great to have you back. Thank you so much. So tell us more, I guess, uh, about doing this and, and creating a book specifically for the younger generation. I guess we'll start with you, Kyle. Sure. So sometimes I get asked why I wanted to write this as a picture book. And the only answer is because that's what I knew how to do at the time. Mm-hmm. I had already gotten a few picture books published. I've been working as an elementary school librarian for a lot of years. And I thought that Gavin's story would be very easy to tell in a way that was both accessible enough for five-year-olds to understand the basic concepts of, like, fairness and choice with enough complex ideas behind it that 10-year-olds could really dig into some of the content as well. And unfortunately, these days, also adults need this. I suppose. Right. Um, and, and Gavin, you, yeah, you talked about you, you obviously knew your story was an important one. I mean, you are part of history. Did you think you were going to jump into this that quickly after your case closed? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, Kyle and I got in contact before the case concluded. And um, even even still, it seems surreal. I, I, this book has been in the in the pipe for quite a long time. And it still uh, it just seems unbelievable to me that it's finally out in the world. So what advice would you have for young people who want to make a difference right now? Um, I would say, I would say, first of all, that uh, we can all, we don't have to aspire to these big, crazy things. Of course, if you want to, then, then feel free. The world is, is your oyster. But um, we can do a lot of radical things that are very small that impact the world in a very big way. Um, like making the choice to be a good friend or a good neighbor or look out for one another or be nice in, in school or or making the choice to start a DSA at your school or advocate for yourself or advocate for someone else. Um, you know, these things don't have to be dramatic to really change the world and make a big impact. And so that's where I would say for young people to start, start with, um, you know, the basics, start with 
making those choices that that change things a little at a time. Well, yeah, because for I think a lot of people, um, it feels very hopeless with all these um, anti-LGBTQ policies but put in place and the narrative and rhetoric right now. How do you push through that when it feels like there is just no hope? Well, for for me, for that, I, I feel like within the LGBT community, there's such a long history of um, if we were going to have safety, if we were going to have a space for us, if we were going to have a community, that was something we had, um, you know, it, it, despite the, the world we lived in, a space that we had to build for ourselves um, and, and really protect really carefully. And so as a result, this is a community that's done that before. And I do believe we'll take care of one another again. And, uh, you know, slowly the arc of, of, of the, the legal process here will, will bend towards a, a, a more supportive world. But at the moment, we have to buckle down and take care of one another. That's true. And, you know, Kyle, you've worked in the education system. How do you feel as a member of the community being part of education right now during this time? Well, I left my elementary school librarian job in 2020 to focus on writing full time. And it was about a year later that, that I was first finding out that some of my books were at the center of controversy in different school districts. And then it's only gotten worse since then. So while part of me is relieved to no longer be working directly in elementary schools, just out of a concern for my own safety. I also wish that I was able to work with my, you know, librarian and educator peers and work together with people to prepare in advance for these sorts of challenges, because I think too many people think to themselves, oh, this can't happen here, or if it does mm-hmm. happen, then it'll be dealt with easily, and that does not seem to be true at all. Yeah, it, it's it's wild, and we unfortunately have to report about that like every day, and um, it's really frightening. Mm-hmm. So the work you're both doing is just so important. Finally, you know, we talk about the message for for kids, but what message do you have for adults listening? Um, I would say, um, in the vein of of kids that have to end up having to advocate for themselves and end up in very difficult positions, such as a, a lawsuit against their school, I would say as adults. Um, Try to clear the road for these kids so that there doesn't have to be another kid fighting a legal battle against their school. Um, you know, there's a lot we can do to step in front of the train here to protect trans youth right now. Um, and it's up to the adults now around them to to do that. Okay, well, that was Gavin Grimm and Kyle Lukoff, creators of the book. If you're a kid like Gavin, the true story of a young trans activist. Thank you so much for being here and for all the work you're both doing. Thank you. Thank you. And that also does it for today's show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There with Sheer and Ryan. What is coming up tomorrow, Producer Shelby? A very interesting conversation. We're talking with a anthropology professor and answering the question, what do other cultures consider to be a person? You know, with Hmm. this post-Roe conversation, are fetuses people? Are they not? Other cultures think differently about like animals and sacred items. So Hmm. um, we have a professor coming on to have that conversation with us. Wow. I'm really excited for that conversation. Of course, that is tomorrow. Let's go there. We are live here weekdays on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I am sending you love and light and now stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's talking about the science of happiness next. See you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 